Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. And uh, we're going to study today Christian maturity. uh, Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you that you open your people's eyes and ears to understand the difference between what we have by faith and what we're going to have by manifestation. Thank you so much, Father. For this Christian maturity that you have given unto us already as a gift. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to start with Hebrews 10 and 18. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So that is uh, through the offering up of Christ, all of those who were separated from their sins were sanctified. It was done. It was given uh, as a gift. But this is speaking about uh, what we have by faith, not manifestation, and what we have by position in Christ. So now God is expecting us to bear the fruit of what we have in Christ. Oh, those of us who have faith that what he gave us is ours. Some people preach totally against this. I'm so sorry. You're never going to manifest it that way. He's given it to us as a gift. We have to reach out and take it by faith and accept it, just like all the other promises, and confess it. Uh, We have to believe with our heart and confess with our mouth unto the salvation so that we're uh, going to receive the manifestation of it. We're going to bear the fruit of it, in other words. So we can see that sanctification has already been given, and that's our position in Christ. But look at 1 Thessalonians 3.11, where it speaks about the manifestation of sanctification or holiness. In most places in the Bible, sanctification and holiness come from the same word, hagiosmos. 1 Thessalonians 3.11 Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way unto you, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we also do towards you. And uh, 3 and 13 says, To the end that you may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness. So there's an establishment in our hearts of holiness or sanctification. So holiness here is uh, one of the words for sanctification. Uh, If there's an end that we're coming to and it is to be established in holiness or sanctification, then it's not the same thing he was just talking about in Hebrews 10. There he says we have been sanctified. 
Here he is saying that we're looking forward to being sanctified. So that's holding fast to the promise until you see it happen. This is talking about the manifestation of sanctification or the manifestation of holiness. As a matter of fact, uh, this particular word for holiness, hagiosune, and it means uh, sanctification manifested in our actions, in our works. That's what God desires, not just sanctification in heavenly places, which was given to us as a gift from Christ, but manifested in our works because we believe we have that gift, right? So, he has commanded us to partake of what he's already provided as our position in Christ. And this is Hagiosune. First uh, Thessalonians 3 and 13. To the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. What he's saying is you have to be ready for that time when the Lord comes with all of his saints because he's looking for the people who have borne the fruit of the gift he gave. He's talking about those who have passed on before the dead in Christ. And he's saying you have to be unblameable and in holiness at that time, sanctified to the purpose that God has for his church that spotless, blemishless church. So we have to be uh, ready for the Lord when he comes. Now, we're seeing that this happens through the manifestation of sanctification. This uh, sanctification, it means separation. It means separation from sin unto God, right? This hagiosune, which is a derivative of hagiosmos, is uh, specifically addressed the manifestation of the works of sanctification in a person's life. So, let's look at another place where hagiosune is used. 2 Corinthians 7 and 1. Having therefore these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all... So, you got the promise, right? Let us cleanse ourselves, since we know we've been sanctified, let us cleanse ourselves, in other words, sanctify ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So now he wants us to perfect that holiness that was given to us at the cross in the fear of God. Some people take away all the fear of God by telling people, well, you can't be holy, you just got to be forgiven, right? But this verse uses the same word, hagiosune, Hebrews 12 and 14, follow after peace with all men and the sanctification without which no man shall see the Lord. Some versions use holiness there. It's the same word. So you have to follow after this because it is your gift and you're reaching out to take this gift and to let it manifest in your life. So, holiness, sanctification. This is something that God has given us to do. We exercise our faith in the promises, and through this we perfect sanctification. So, we see 
that there's a way in which we've been given sanctification and holiness by position. And there is a way in which God is telling us, okay, since I've given this to you, now take it by faith. And the only way that we can apprehend what God has given unto us is to take it by faith. You are sanctified. You were sanctified. At the cross, you were sanctified. Now, since you're sanctified, that means you are separated from sin. Walk that way because you believe it. Right? First Thessalonians agrees with this in First Thessalonians 4 and 1. Finally then, brethren, we beseech and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you, as you received of us how you ought to walk and to please God even as you do walk, that you abound more and more. For you know what charge we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God even your sanctification. Did you see that? This is the will of God. Talking to Christians, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Since I've given you this gift, bear the fruit of it, he's saying. But we just need, uh, we just read in uh, Hebrews 10 that, that this has already been given to us as a gift. We need to understand that God is proving who the true believers are. Many people are religious and quite content to say, okay, I'm holy. Uh, That's simple. But they don't realize that God wants that holiness of Christ, that hagiosune, that we just read about to be manifested in our life, in our heart, and in our walks. This is bearing fruit. What does he say about the people who don't bear fruit of the promises? That's right, they're cast into outer darkness. So God has called us in sanctification, and he wants us to apprehend all of what sanctification is. First Thessalonians 5 and 23. And the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly or completely or perfectly. It's the same word. This is what perfection is. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved entire. In other words, no garment spotted by the flesh. Without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you. In other words, you've been invited to this, right? Uh, Who will also do it. Do you believe God will manifest sanctification in you? cause you to bear the fruit of the promise? If you do, it will happen. He will also do it. In other words, the Lord will manifest it. He expects us to walk by faith, but He will manifest this in us, and He will manifest the gift that He has given us through Jesus Christ. So this same truth is manifested in quite a few other places. For instance, where Paul speaks of our Passover, who is Christ, 1 Corinthians 5 and 7. Purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, even as you are unleavened. He said you are unleavened. Okay, so now he says purge out the old leaven. For our Passover also has been sacrificed, even Christ. Wherefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, 
neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He goes on to question, uh, what are we to do if we're to be unleavened and uh, leaven comes into our midst? Malice and wickedness come into our midst, which he was talking about in the previous text. And when he spoke of a man who had his father's wife, Paul turned him over to the devil for the destruction of his flesh so that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. So he's telling us to cast out these people that don't want to repent, that walk in uh, willful disobedience because they will pollute you. So, in other words, God is expecting a manifestation of sanctification for those who have faith. He's making these people responsible. I wrote unto you in my epistle to have no company with fornicators, not at all, not at all meaning with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous and extortioners or with the idolaters, for then must you needs go out of the world. But as it is, I wrote unto you not to keep company if any man that is named a brother be a fornicator or covetous or idolater or reviler or drunkard or an extortioner with such a one know not to eat. And what he's talking about here is eating the Passover. We're, we're feeding upon the body and blood of Christ. We're feeding upon our Passover lamb. So you don't sit there and, and continue to consume the Passover lamb with people who are in willful disobedience all around you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, he said in that text. So he's talking about eating the Passover. He's talking about partaking of the Word of God. People who are coming to God, who repent, who change their mind, and believe the gospel, walk away from immorality. His warning is here, 1 Corinthians 6 and 9. Or know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? He's talking about people among you who are named a brother, right? Or a sister. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with men, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. They are not going to be saved without repentance. And he's talking to Christians. He's not talking about the people of the world. He said, the church judges those who are within. God judges those who are without. I'd like to point out another scripture as well, Second Thessalonians 2 and 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, for that God chose you from the beginning unto salvation. Here it is again. You have salvation by faith, but not manifesting it yet, right? So, but, he says, he chose you from the beginning to be saved, or unto salvation. In, how is it salvation manifested? 
in sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. So this is the way to manifest our salvation. We've been saved by faith, but now it has to be manifested. Uh, Otherwise, you're not bearing fruit. Salvation is Jesus Christ. If we want to know what it looks like, it looks like Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 and 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're coming into the image of Jesus Christ through eating his word, right? So the only hope of glory here is Christ in you. Did you see that? And that's 30, 60, and 100 fold. He says here, He chose you from the beginning unto salvation in sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. And this is part of it. We can't have sanctification by the Spirit unless we believe the truth. Believing the truth is what gives us grace and power. And grace is what gives us sanctification. Grace is God's unmerited favor. We don't take one step towards God without His favor. And that comes by exercising faith in the truth, in the promises. It's very important whom we sit under and whom we believe and whom we let sit next to us. The Bible's very plain that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, Galatians 5 and 9. If you're sitting in a church where they permit the grossest of sinners in there, unrepentant, and they call it grace, what they're doing is turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, which is a license to do what you want to do. If it's okay for the next guy to do it, it's okay for me to do it. And everything that comes out of his mouth and everything that witnesses to me of his life is going into me. He says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So he's warning us. Second Thessalonians 2 and 14 says, Whereunto he called you through our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. To the obtaining of the glory. Right? We've been given this glory from the sacrifice of Christ, but he wants us to obtain the glory. Or, in other words, for it to be manifested in this realm. And manifestation means becoming seen, becoming visible in this realm, in the physical realm. So the Lord is demanding that we obtain His glory. It can only come through the truth and our faith in the truth, which brings us sanctification. Hebrews 12 and 14, follow after peace with all men and the sanctification or holiness, hagiosmos, uh, without which no man shall see the Lord. You don't want to be holy? You want to just be forgiven? Well, then you're not going to see the Lord. Mm -hmm. So now he speaks to Christians to whom he just got through telling by which will we have been sanctified. Hebrews 10 and 10 and verse 14. 
For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. The sanctification uh, is this process of perfection. He said that this has been given to us freely, and now we are to follow after this, to follow after the sanctification without which no man shall see the Lord. Hebrews 12 and 14. So it's not good enough for us to just believe in the position that we have in Christ. That's necessary, but it's not good enough. You have to bear fruit. And although, I mean, when you plant a crop, you're expecting fruit. It's planted, it's the crop, it's your crop, but you're not interested in the plant. You're going after the fruit, and the fruit is Christ. So although that position gives us great benefits, and without that we have no way to obtain sanctification, verse 15 says, Looking carefully, lest there be any man that falleth short of the grace of God. He's talking to Christians. Falleth short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby the many be defiled. That's what the faction do. They want to defile as many people as they can. So they run around and they're guilty of the blood of these people that they spiritually murder with their root of bitterness, which is totally their fault and nobody else's. Verse 16, Lest there be any fornicator, yep, they all fall into fornication, or profane person as Esau, who for one mess of meat sold his own birthright. He's warning you that people do sell their birthright. So what was his birthright? Well, obviously, according to the text, sanctification, but because of following after the flesh or the meat, he sold his birthright. He was a son of Abraham. He had the birthright, but he lost it. That's what Esau represents, a Christian who lost his birthright. Some don't believe that that can happen, but they're just totally wrong. 17, for you know that even when he afterwards desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for a change of mind in his father though he sought it diligently and with tears. Uh huh. So he found no place for a change of mind. He desired it. He knew that he needed it. He wanted fire insurance, but God wouldn't give it to him. In the parable of the sower, it was the seed which was the word that brought forth the fruit. They don't think they need to read the Word because they're once saved, always saved, most of them. So they don't need to read the Word. But that's what bears the fruit. The seed bears the fruit. If you don't put the Word in your heart, you won't realize that your doctrine is, is phony. It's just letting you live in sin. Verse 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Thy Word is truth. So it's not man's theology. Nothing, than his, nothing other than his pure word is truth. 
And as you didst send me, verse 18, as thou didst send me into the world, even so I sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. You see, he couldn't give away something if, if he didn't have it. You can't give away sanctification to people around you. You can infect them, but you can't give it away unless you've got it yourself. So what is Jesus saying? He, he was saying that he was sanctifying himself so that his disciples could be sanctified in the truth that was manifested through him. We can't get sanctification from someone who doesn't speak the truth or someone who's uh, not walking in sanctification themselves. They're just leaven, and they're going to, to leaven you. So don't sit underneath them and don't fellowship with those who are walking in sin, willful sin. Fellowship is giving and receiving, and you don't want to receive things from these people. It's like partaking of unclean beasts. We're forbidden to do this. So Jesus said, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. So while walking with Jesus, it sanctified those disciples pretty quickly because he was holy. And be ye therefore holy as I am holy, right? <laughs> so we have a method given to us by God to help us to uh, be able to uh, imagine sanctification, to imagine that it is our gift and that we can walk in it. Romans 6 and 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's exactly what a lot of them are saying. I tell you, a lot of people believe that. They believe, oh, it's the grace of God. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Well, then get saved by grace. If you say you're a sinner, get saved by grace. If the grace doesn't save you, then you don't have any faith in it. And my sins just magnify his grace. Yes, I'm a bad sinner and he accepts me. And so this just shows how graceful he is towards me. But he says, no, not so. If you were sanctified, you'd better walk in it. God forbid, verse 2, we who died to sin, how shall we any longer live therein? Huh, did you hear that? Or are you ignorant that all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That's what the death of the old man means. When you went down in that water, the old you died. The one that came up was Jesus Christ. Verse 4, We were buried therefore with him through baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in newness of life. My gosh, they throw out so much of the Scriptures. So, when you come up out of the water, you should be able to walk in newness of life because you are to reckon yourself to be dead, right? As he said in Romans 6. You have the authority over sin that you didn't have before. 
by this act of faith, you're saying it's done. Baptism is an act of faith. It's a way in which our imagination can connect our faith with what God has given. It's the faith that does the work, not the water. The water represents the washing with the Word of God. But it's not the water that cleanses you physically. It's your faith that does it. Romans 6 and 4. So, we also might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, that's the likeness of being baptized and buried in the water, uh, the Word of God, which puts to death the old man. We shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. In other words, we'll have His resurrection life. It's ours. You claim it at baptism. You claim the death of the old man. You claim the life of the new man. And that is Christ in you. We're accepting this gift by faith when we're baptized. If you're not baptized... You should be. You're disobe- uh, disobedient. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So we're accepting this gift by faith when we're baptized. And knowing this, verse 6, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away, that so we should no longer be in bondage to sin. Notice that he said, It might be done away. It's not a surety that it will be done, even though this gift has been given to all the saints. All of God's people have received this gift, but we have to fight to grasp it. 2 Corinthians 7 and 1, Having therefore these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. What does all mean? All defilement of flesh, that is your flesh, and spirit. In other words, spiritual defilement of you, right? Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. If Do you fear God? Perfect holiness. It's not just receiving it by faith, it's manifesting it. And Romans 6 and 7 says, For he that hath died is justified from sin. But if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death no more hath dominion over him. And neither does it with us. I mean, we have to consider it done done and over, right? For the death that he died, he died unto sin once, but the life that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Now, here's, here's how your faith works. Okay, verse 11. Even so, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin. Consider it done. Not, I'm going to be a sinner saved by grace, and I'll continue to be a sinner saved by grace, and I won't bear any fruit of this gift. But a lot of people, that's where they are. So reckon yourself, consider it done. That's what reckon means. To be dead unto sin. In other words, consider it done, accept it by faith. But alive unto God in Christ Jesus. Let us not sin, therefore, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. He's telling you how not to sin. 
Notice, you have to walk by faith. Let not sin therefore, what's the therefore, therefore, right? It's about what he just said. Reckon ye yourselves to be dead unto sin. You got baptized, you came up a new man. It wasn't you, it was Christ in you. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. It's mortal body. Some people say, oh, you don't get that till you go to heaven. No, it's your mortal body. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey the lusts thereof. You're not supposed to give in to lust because you believe Jesus sanctified you, he took away your sins, and he nailed them to that cross, and you don't have them anymore. That's faith. So we see that we have the authority to say no to sin. Some people don't believe that they have that authority, and so they don't. Be it unto you according to your faith. That's what Jesus said. So we see that we have authority to say no to sin, and uh, notice that it's through our faith because we reckon that we're dead unto sin and alive unto God. Are you a believer? Do you believe that Jesus took away the sin that you're struggling with right now? Do you believe that you can uh, cast this thing down by faith in Jesus Christ? And being made, verse 18, and being made free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. So, you don't have to any longer live therein, Romans 6 and 2. You can cast it down. And verse 19 says, Present your members as servants to righteousness, unto sanctification. Unto sanctification. In other words, unto the manifestation of the sanctification that was given to you by what Jesus did. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto sanctification. So you have it already. It's all been given. Glory be to God. Usually, I study the parable of the sower out of Matthew 13, but I would like us to look at Luke this time, Luke 8 and 4. And when a great multitude came together, they of every city resorted unto him, and he spoke by a parable. Verse 5. The sower went forth to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden underfoot, and the birds of heaven devoured it. And the other fell on the rock, and as soon as it grew, it withered away because it had no moisture. And the other fell amidst the thorns, and the thorns grew with it and choked it. And other fell in the good ground and grew and brought forth fruit a hundredfold. So as he said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Everybody doesn't have ears to hear. They would rather hear their doctrine that lets them live in sin and be happy about it. Verse 9, And his disciples asked him what this parable might be. He said 
Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Well, okay, so he, he was talking about kingdom people, covenant people. He said, I've been sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He was sent to them first because they were covenant people. Okay. And, of course, they blasphemed, they crucified him, they crucified his disciples, and so on and so forth. Now, the parable is this, Jesus said, the seed is the word of God. Verse 12. And those by the wayside, they are they that have heard, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word from their heart that they may not believe and be saved. Yep, you can sit on a pew and still be just as lost as a goose. Verse 13, And those on the rock are they who, when they have heard, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who for a while believe and in a time of temptation fall away. Happens a lot. And that which fell among the thorns, these are they that have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. So obviously we're talking about the manifestation of perfection, which is to bring fruit to perfection. Well, notice even though they were receiving the seed, they didn't bring the fruit to perfection. And that in the good ground, these are such as in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, hold it fast. You know, even in the midst of temptation and tribulations, hold it fast and bring forth fruit with patience. So these bring forth fruit unto perfection. Glory to God. That's our hope, and that's the Lord himself will manifest this fruit in us. So it's the seed that brings forth the fruit unto perfection. It's not us. It's the seed, the Word of God in us. You have to reprogram your computer. It has a virus. It's called sin. Uh, now, when you put the Word of God in your heart, that has power. And one of the points is that we have to hold it fast. Hold fast the seed. You know, people give it up in the midst of their tribulation. They decide, oh, God didn't mean it. So we see that uh, the seed is being sown in the heart, verse 11, and the seed is the Word of God. And if the heart holds it fast, it will bring forth fruit unto perfection. And those by the wayside are they that have heard, and then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word from their heart, that they may not believe and be saved. So they heard it, they believed it, and then they fell away. Like what? Three out of every four. Yeah. And you can still sit on a pew and be a total unbeliever. You might have started out with a born-again spirit, but you're not interested in the born-again soul, which is the fruit of that spirit. 
So here the word is not held fast so that it bears fruit. And this is a miscarrying womb. So the heart is the womb that brings forth the fruit. Just like the womb of a woman has to hold fast the seed in order for that seed to come to birth. 1 John 3 and 9. Whosoever is begotten, and the word begotten here is the same word for born, uh, of God doeth no sin because his seed abideth in him. He didn't give up the seed. He's going to bear fruit. He didn't give up the seed. In other words, it's it stays. It's being held fast. It's a it, it uh, abideth in him. He cannot sin because he is born of God. So when the seed abides, it it can come to birth. It can bring the fruit to perfection. And we know, since the seed is the word of God and Jesus is the word of God. That the fruit that is born in us is Christ in you, the hope of glory. No, most people do not have any hope that they're to come into the image of Christ 30, 60, and 100 fold because they've perverted that. Talking about souls saved. Well, huh, uh, there's a whole lot of people out there unsaved then because they've never saved 30 people. It has nothing to do with that. It has 30 fold fruit of Christ. Colossians one twenty seven, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So that is Christ manifested in his people. You say he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. No, he's coming in his people before he can come for his people because if he came for his people right now, they'd have to be left on the earth. So we know that we were perfected at the cross and that his life was given for ours, and that we don't live anymore. Christ lives in us by faith. But as we hold fast the promise in the midst of the many trials of riches, temptations, and so on, uh, and we hold on to the word, that word will bear fruit. So many times in the trial, our mind wants to revert back to the things of the world. Our mind wants to walk by sight instead of by faith. But in the trial, we have opportunity to hold on to the word and not turn it loose so that it bears the same fruit of Jesus Christ in us, the same faith, the same miraculous power, the same sanctifying power manifested through his saints. So when we're in the midst of the trial, we are tempted to go back to our old thinking. But, but we have to do, what we have to do is to hold fast to the word and cast down everything else that comes against the word. That's 2 Corinthians 10 and 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that is exalted against the knowledge of God. And bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So that's the whole point. We are to hold fast to the word and cast down everything else. Cast down the seed of the devil, which is his word. Cast it down. Cast it out of your mind. We only want one seed that can bring forth the fruit of Christ. That's the only seed 
we want to accept, and we have to hold fast to it because the devil is seeking to take away the seed that's been sown in our heart. He desperately has to do that, or we will bear the fruit of Jesus Christ, and it will be too late for him. So when you're in the fiery trial and you know what the promise is, just remember that promise is the seed that you have to hold to in order to bear the fruit. We don't want to have a spiritually miscarrying womb. Remember, Jesus said, the words that I have spoken unto you, they are spirit and they are life. John six sixty three. Any other word besides the word of God is also spirit and it is also life, but not the spirit and life of Christ. We don't want another life. We don't want another Jesus. If you got another Jesus, you didn't bear the fruit of Christ. Some people have a do-nothing Jesus. He has no power. You know, he just sits around watching us on a cloud up there somewhere. Uh, We don't want to have strange children. You know, each seed brings forth after its own kind. If it's the seed or the word of Christ, it's going to bring forth Christ, not some other worthless Jesus. We don't want to have strange children, as the prophet spoke in Hosea 5 and 7. They have born strange children. Why is that? They don't look like the Father. (laughs) Right? So we uh, read the Scriptures in order to become familiar with the Father, Jesus. And Jesus. And Jesus said that uh, he that has seen me has seen the Father. So when you get the fruit of Jesus, you also have the fruit of the Father. Because each seed brings forth after its own kind. And Jesus is just like the Father. That's John 14 and 9. In other words, he himself manifested his father. He was a seed which was in line with his father. And we have to be also that seed. The fruit in us has to also be a seed which is in line with our father. Now, it's very hard for people to go to a church that's dead and there's no power and there's no gift of God and there's no fruit And they read the Bible, and it confuses them, so they put it down. Because they're telling them a lie. But they respect the lie. They respect the person rather than the Father. So, remember the parable of the wheat and the tares. The word, therefore, seed, is the word sperma. Letting us know that this is not just talking about plants here. The word sperma is what's going to bring forth this wheat. And when a person sows good seed in their field, the Lord's sperma is there who sowed those tares among the wheat. Jesus said an enemy had done this. Matthew 13 and 28. Two seeds sown in the same field is not supposed to be. Uh, The field he's talking about uh, is the kingdom of God on this earth, but in our life. It's up to us to make sure we cast down the bad seed, which is imaginations and every high thing that's exalted against the knowledge of God, 2 Corinthians 10 and 5. So we have to receive only 
the seed of the word. If you do that, I'm telling you, a lot of people are going to depart from their churches. They respect that man who went to cemetery to come back and give them this uh, uh, death experience. So they sit there on the pew for 40 years and don't bear the fruit of Christ. You only are to receive the word of God. If a man says it passed away, tell him, show me. You know where it passed away? It passed away for them. Therefore, get out of there. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Get out of there. That's not a church. Church means called out ones. They haven't come out. You have to receive only and hold fast to the good seed because the good seed will bring forth the birth. You will see Jesus walking around on this earth in the days to come in this revival. Uh, he's walking around in another body, but it's him. It is the word in them. And it'll be, they'll be doing the same thing Jesus did. And the Pharisees will be, you know, putting it down, putting it down, persecuting, crucifying, because they didn't have any power. So belief gives fertile ground to the seed, which will bear fruit when a person agrees with it. Accept it and walk by it, right? So we fight a battle with the devil, who has an ally, the old carnal nature, working with him and against us. That's the flesh. The devil can steal the seed because he has agreement in the carnal nature, which washes the seed away. The carnal nature won't let that seed be held fast so that it can uh, bear fruit. We must hold to the word of God, as Second Thessalonians says, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at in all them that believed, because our testimony unto you was believed in that day. Whoa. Our testimony unto you was believed. You know, uh, a woman's... When a woman's blood washes away the seed, it does not bear fruit, right? You know what I'm talking about? It does not bear fruit. It, they let the blood, their own nature, the life of the flesh is in the blood. They let their own nature depict and to tell them what to accept and what not to accept. That's like a woman that... Uh, her blood washes away the seed before it has a chance to bear any fruit. So Jesus is coming to be glorified in his people because that testimony of Christ in you, the hope of glory, will be believed in that day. What day is he talking about? This day. There are people believing it. Yep, they went to a bed dead church and they realized it was a dead church and they came out from among them that's what church is the called out ones yeah so when was this spoken and this is talking about the time immediately before the coming of the lord look at the text so right before the coming of the lord god's people are once again going to believe in the gospel that has been spoken to the woman church 
Remember what Jesus said, Matthew nine twenty nine. According to your faith, be it done unto you. You believe Jesus can't do anything in you to get rid of sin? Well, that's what you're going to get. Nothing. In Matthew 8 and 13, As thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. Yep, they believe that they're just going to be a sinner. Well, that's what's going to happen. So, do you believe that uh, the seed of the promise of the Word of God can bring forth Jesus Christ in you? If you do, it will happen. And also, we have this word, Luke 8 and 14. And that which fell among the thorns, these are they that have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. The word perfection here is a strange word, not used anywhere else in the Bible. It's the word telosphoreo. There's a common word for perfection, teleos. But this word is telosphoreo. And it means to bring to perfection or end in view. Do you have the end in view? In other words, we have to see the end from the beginning. That's how the Lord taught us to be sons of God, right? We have to call these things that be not as though they were. We're holding as in a mirror, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. So we want to look in the mirror and see Jesus. That's having uh, farsightedness. And are transformed into that same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. So, you know, Paul's saying, Second um, Corinthians three and eighteen, we're beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and we're transformed into that same image from glory to glory. So you're seeing the end from the beginning. Tell us foreo. You have to see that that is yours. You're believing that this is yours. Even though you don't see it physically yet, you believe it's yours. And then what? You come into that same image from glory to glory. And Paul prefaces that with, uh, but we all with an unveiled face. So this telosphoreo we see from the beginning. We're seeing it accepting it, and we're walking towards it, and we're going to receive it by faith. Cast down the words of man. Don't listen to the words of man. If it's not working for them, it's not going to work for you. If they don't come into the image of Christ, you won't, by listening to them, come into the image of Christ. They're sowing a faulty seed. So this revelation of perfection will be restored. Luke 8 and 14. And that which fell upon the thorns, these are they that have heard, and they go on their way. They are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. So people get distracted with all the things of the world, right? And that in the good ground, these are such as in an honest and good heart, 
having heard the word, hold it fast and bring forth fruit with patience. So this phrase, they bring no fruit to perfection, obviously implies that that's the end result, this bringing forth fruit to perfection. The common word in Greek for perfection is teleos, which means having reached its end, finished, complete, perfect. But the particular word here in this passage is uh, the only word in the Bible like this, and this is perfect, placed for it by the way. It's the word telesphoreo. It means to bring to completion or perfection with an end in view. Who is the end? Jesus. And whose who's, uh, glory are you coming into the image of? Jesus. You're seeing him from the beginning. You're accepting that as yours. God gave him as a sacrifice for you. So this is the key to manifesting perfection. It's nothing uh, that we in ourselves have any possibility of doing. But the Father is giving us the key to take hold of His power so that He Himself is the one who perfects us. This key has been hidden for many generations, and it was, according to Paul, before Him for many generations. And in these days, it's being revealed again. Not that it ever was snuffed out, but in large communities uh, communities of God's people, it has been snuffed out for the last 2,000 years. You know, the key is the end in view. Seeing the end as something that God already provided for you. You are accepting as a free gift the finished work of Christ. Now let's look again. Hebrews 10 and 10. By which will? We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. So there's the gift. We accept it. So we have sanctification both by faith and by manifestation. The scriptures speak of both things. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Are you sanctified? Did you receive your sanctification as a free gift? Okay, so now you can walk in it. So, he sanctified us and perfected us by that one offering up of the body of Christ. And the Lord wants us to accept his free gift that we've been delivered from sin, that it's been nailed to the cross, right? That we've been separated from the world and that we've been perfected. That's what the Bible says. To deny that is to deny the gospel, the good news. So what is perfection? What is maturity? What is salvation? What is the end in view? Uh, Luke 6 and 40. The disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when, notice that when, not if, when he is perfected shall be as his teacher. The Lord said that. So who was the teacher here? Obviously the teacher was Jesus. He really means when he is perfected uh, shall be as his teacher. He really means it. So we have something to look forward to. 
and to believe we have received. As Jesus said, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe you have received them, and you shall have them. 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, But we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. So God's the one who is going to do this through our faith. And even that's a gift from Him, as He says. Uh, We have to renew our mind first to see the gift of Jesus Christ that God has given to us. We're accepting His free gift, not on the grounds that we've earned it or have any ability in ourselves or power in ourselves to partake of it, but on the grounds that God has promised to give it to us as a gift. And now Jesus is telling us that when we are perfected, we'll be as our teacher. Hmm. And those disciples, they called them Christians because that's what they were. They were as their teacher. So this tells us that it's very important who our teacher is. If we make religion our teacher, we're going to be far short. If we make a certain denomination our teacher, we're only going to go to that level and we're going to stop because they won't let us go anywhere beyond them. They'll judge us pretty harshly if we try. But if we make the Word of God our teacher, and the Word of God is just another name for Jesus Christ, then we can come into that image. So the best thing to do, of course, is to dig and study the Word to find out exactly what it is to be like Him and to be a disciple, which is a learner and a follower. So the disciple is not above his teacher. He promised that a disciple, when he is perfected, shall be as his teacher. Not all people called Christians will ever be perfected, but disciples will because they're learners and followers. Mathetes, that's what it means. They study the Master. They want to walk as the Master walked. Notice, The promise is when, but that's for a disciple. There are many, many Christians, but not many disciples, learners and followers. Jesus made conditions for discipleship, and we need to study those conditions too. So here's a similar verse, Matthew 10 and 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his Lord. It's enough for the disciple to be as his teacher and the servant as his Lord. That's why you're a disciple. To become like the one you admire. So, again, an awesome word that the Lord has given unto us. Many people would call that blasphemy, but the Lord himself is the one who spoke it. It's not our power, it's His. Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren, Romans 8 and 29. We too are being born into His image, spirit, soul, and ultimately body. But while we're here, we're called to come into His image in spirit and soul. 
Matthew 10 and 25. It's enough for the disciple that he be as his teacher and the servant as his Lord. 1 John 2 and 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. And those first disciples did that. And he said, now you go make disciples and teach them to observe everything I taught you. Whoa. So they were to pass on the exact same thing that they were. And the same law that the Lord spoke to them was to be given to every disciple. And religion stopped it. So to abide in Christ means to be coming into that place where you are walking as he walked more and more. You're growing into the image and stature of Christ, and you're coming into that place. Let me also point out another verse, John eight thirty four. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except one that committeth sin, everyone that committeth sin is the bondservant of sin. And the bondservant abideth not in the house forever. The son abideth forever. Okay. So evidently sons are not those that continue to walk as sinners. So there are some people who are considered bondservants who will not enter the kingdom. They will not be in the house forever. They will not have eternal life because... They're also bondservants of sin. Only the Son abideth forever. There's a difference between a bondservant and a son. Let me explain something to you that the Lord explained to me. Every son is a bondservant, and every son serves his Lord diligently. But not every bondservant is a son. A son is a special relationship. So this is the heir we're talking about. They're not just a slave. Servants serve for one reason. Sons serve for quite another reason. Sons want to promote their father's kingdom because they're also heirs of that kingdom. And they want to please their father. He's their father. Bond servants serve many times because they have, they have to. Sometimes it might be just uh, fire insurance to them, but to a son, it's different. It's personal. When you're a son, um, and there are far fewer sons than there are bondservants, when you're a son, you want to please your father, you want to promote his kingdom, you want to do those things. So I'd like to further point out that the difference between a servant and a son, Galatians 4 and 1, but I say that so long as the heir is a child, he differeth nothing from a bondservant, though he is Lord of all. Let's say that all who are called Christians are heirs. Some are children. Some are more and more manifesting sonship. And right now, he says, so long as the heir is a child, he's no different than a bondservant. Even though in reality, according to position, he's the Lord of everything. God has given us perfection at the very beginning of our walk. It's a free gift. He's given it unto us, and because we accept it by faith, we walk more and more in that position. 
because we realize that we're here to walk as he walked. We walk more and more in accordance with his will as Jesus did and his disciples did. So what is perfection? It's Christ. It's sonship. It's the manifestation of the Son in you. This is God's plan. Reconciliation is an exchange of Christ's life on the cross for your life. Reconciliation means an exchange. God has given you His life and His blessings and taken your curse and your sin and put it on the cross. Now, we are entering into this because we believe in this. Matthew 9 and 29, According to your faith, be it done unto you. The Lord is manifesting this in us freely because we believe that we've been given sonship and not just the position of a servant. And here's another confirmation, Proverbs 29 and 21. He that delicately bringeth up his servant from a child shall have him become a son at the last. Hmm. Servants and children are equal, but the end result, which we're looking uh, in the mirror to see, is sonship. Galatians 4 and 1. But I say that so long as the heir is a child, he differs nothing from a bondservant, though he is lord of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the day appointed of the father. So these babies have to grow up and start walking. They can't stay in the playpen all of their life. Some of them want to stay there. They want them to stay there and pay their tithes. Right? So, we all start out in kindergarten, and which is a lot of religious garbage out there, um, and they just want to stay in kindergarten. They just want to, uh, you know, accept Jesus, and that's enough. That's enough. That's, that's enough. I don't, don't, don't put any word on me now. They get away from the word. The Lord told me one time that religions are like playpens. They're meant to be outgrown. We're supposed to climb over the bars. They build all kinds of bars around you to keep you in, but you can outgrow them. You can be mature. But in the meantime, there there are guardians and stewards who keep the baby from getting in trouble, right? Okay, so outgrow the bars, climb over the bars, get out of there. So we also, when we were children, were held in bondage under the rudiments of the world. Rudiments here means elements. The Greek word stoichion means first principles in a series. Many people are really hung up under the first principles. They're staying right there. They're not moving from the first principles. They're behind the bars of their playpen. But if you stay there, then you're not going to bear fruit. Some people are going around in a little religious circles with the same old things, not stretching forth to grow in the fullness of the Word of God. Galatians 4 and 4 says, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
that he might redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Hebrews 7 and 19, For the law made nothing perfect. So if you're under the law, it can be the law of religion, it can be the law of the old covenant, you're just under the rules and regulations, Uh, you'll never come to perfection. We're all in a relationship with God. Grace is the right relationship. We need His grace and His power to work in us, and grace only comes through faith. You have to believe what the Word says. The law is actuated by our own works, but we receive grace through faith, and then God works the work in us. Philippians 2 and 13 says, For it is God who worketh in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So if he works that which is pleasing uh, in you, uh, that means Christ in you. Christ pleased God. So we need to get out from under the law. Otherwise, we'll always stay a child uh, uh, and a bondservant. Galatians 4 and 6, Because you are sons, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now what does because you are sons mean? So here's the answer, Galatians 3 and 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So you're a son by faith before you can be a son by manifestation. Do you understand that now? Romans 8 and 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation waiteth for the revealing of the sons of God. That's the manifestation of the sons of God. This is the son of God by faith, right? We are sons of God by faith because now in the New Testament, out from under the law, We're justified by faith in believing that we don't live anymore. Christ lives in us. Ephesians 1 and 4. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blemish before Him in love. That's why He chose us. Hmm. Having foreordained us unto the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ unto Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, remember, He that delicately bringeth up His servant from a child shall have him become a son at the last. You have your eyes on sonship. You behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And you're transformed into that same image from glory to glory. You're seeing in a mirror. You're seeing that Jesus in you. So, he that delicately bringeth up his servant from a child shall have him become a son at the last. Proverbs 29 and 21. This comes from both the Jews and the Romans. They had a procedure whereby they would adopt servants in whom they had particular pleasure. Maybe if they didn't have a child of their own, they would adopt them as sons. The point being that the word for child, technon, only emphasizes a birth. But the word son, 
huios emphasizes a particular relationship with the Father. There are many people born into the kingdom, but they never manifest sonship. They remain children all their lives. They never mature, and they don't bear fruit. One thing that keeps us from being from bearing fruit is the law, living under legalism. That can be legalism in the church, but it's still legalism. You do as I say. <laughs> Don't do as I do. So this is illustrated here, Galatians 4 and 7, so that thou art no longer a bondservant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So we see that by faith, we are no longer bondservants. We're no longer children. We're sons because we come out from under the law and into grace to enter into this. You can be in a denomination and obeying all the rules of your denomination, but you're still under the law. It doesn't matter. They just made a new law out of the New Testament, you know. But you were made and created to walk in the steps of Jesus and his disciples. Albeit at that time, not knowing God, you were in bondage to them that by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how turn you back again to the weak and beggarly rudiments? There's those first principles again. Whereunto you desire to be in bondage all over again. You observe days and months and seasons and years. They were getting all back all into regulations, right? I'm afraid of you, lest by any means I have bestowed labor upon you in vain. Yeah, they were being justified by all things, but they weren't coming into the image of Jesus. So they were going back under the law and seeking to be justified by the law through their own self-efforts to keep the law instead of by faith. Galatians 3 and 11 says, Now that no man is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous shall live by faith. So our life comes from faith. The law is just our tutor to bring us to Christ. He has to take us from that point on. Galatians 4.19 says, My little children, there's the children again, the bondservants, My little children of whom I am again in travail until Christ be formed in you. That's what? The Son in other words, until sonship is formed in you. You're a child if you're under the law. It doesn't matter if you're under the law of your religion or whether you're under the Old Testament law. You're still under law and you're not under grace. If your religion is putting you under legalism, whether it's the legalism of the Old Testament law or their own laws, Rather than being able to follow the Spirit, you're going to stay a child. You're never going to grow up. You're going to stay in the playpen. He goes on to talk about the son of the handmaid and the son of the free woman. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the handmaid and one by the free woman. Now that's pretty clear. If you're under legalism, you're not free. 
to hear the voice of Christ and to follow Him and to submit to all that the Scripture has to say, not just the little box that your religion has made. It doesn't matter whether you look like the next guy in your religion because you're all listening to the same man. If you don't look like Jesus, you're not listening to Him. It doesn't matter whether it's man's legalism or your own church rules, or even as far as going back under the Old Testament law. You're not free. You're not justified by faith in that way. Sons of the handmaid are servants. Sons of the free woman are sons. He warns us in the very next verse, 30, Howbeit what saith the Scripture, Cast out the handmaid and her son. For the son of the handmaid shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Hmm. Yes, they were both children of Abraham. But Paul is making a type and a shadow here to show us that the bondservant who is not a son will not have the eternal life like the son will. The devil has a lot of people walking in bondage, thinking that they're justified by their works, thinking nobody else is obeying this particular part of the law but them, and they're seeking to be justified by that. They're not free, and it's sad. Romans 8 and 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Well, these are people that are outside the playpen. The Spirit of God is not going to lead you back under the law, a covenant that God never made with you. The Spirit of God is going to lead you under grace. Galatians 4 and 31. Wherefore, brethren, we are not children of the handmaid, but of the free woman. Yes, that's exactly right. By faith, not necessarily by manifestation, but by faith. So we need to repent. If you are listening to men who are dragging you back under the law, keeping you in their religion so you can keep paying your tithes to them, uh, you need to repent because this is going to stunt your growth. You'll be called the, a son of the handmaid and not of the free woman. You'll be a bondservant, but you'll never be a son. A son is somebody who walks the way the son walked. A bondservant is a child, as we saw. We're waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. The whole creation is waiting for this, as the Bible says. The whole purpose of God is to create His children into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's the manifestation of the sons of God. There are false doctrines about the manifestation out there, and some are scaring away people from the very words, manifestation of the sons of God. But it's in the book. It's good. It's not bad. Just because some people turn it into something bad does not mean it's bad. It's in the book. It was taught by the Lord and taught by the Apostle Paul. We need an understanding of what manifestation of the sons of God means. 
It, it means you are walking as He walked. That's what you should be entering into. He said, These signs will accompany them that believe in my name. And he went on to list all those same things he did. And his disciples did. So why don't you do that? Because you listened to a dead religion that said all that passed away with them. No such thing. It doesn't say that anywhere. They lied. So I'd like to remind you that John says exactly what we read in Galatians John 8 and 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Everyone that cometh, committeth sin is the bondservant of sin, and the bondservant abideth not in the house forever. The Son abideth forever. So Ishmael's do not have eternal life unless they get born again. <laughs> right? Uh, Isaac's do. In a type, if you are an Ishmaelite in the New Testament, you can walk by faith and be an Isaac. That's right. Hallelujah. So we are the seed of the promise through Isaac. Ishmael wasn't. That was a work of Abraham. Yeah, that was his works to try to bring forth the promised seed. And by type and shadow, we understand uh, what this means. The parable of the talents is, is clear too, Matthew 25 and 14. For it is as when a man going into another country calleth his own servants. These are not the people of the world. These are the people of the kingdom. Calleth his own servants and delivereth unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents and to another two and to another one to each according to his several ability. So he gave them gifts according to their ability to use them. And he went on his journey. So he gave forth his talents, and he expected them to bear the fruit of this. Straightway, he that received the five talents went and traded with them and made other five talents. In like manner, he also that received the two gained other two. But he that received the one went away and digged in the earth, meaning the flesh, and hid his Lord's money. Now after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and maketh a reckoning with them. And he that received the five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou, didst, thou deliveredst unto me five talents, and lo, I have gained other five talents. In other words, he bore fruit. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will set thee over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And he also that received the two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliveredst unto me thy two talents. Lo, I have gained other two talents. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will set thee over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And he also that had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou didst not sow, and gathering where thou didst not scatter. And I was afraid, and I went away and hid thy talent in the earth. 
Lo, thou hast thine own. But his Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gathered where I did not scatter, which was a lie. He did scatter it. He did sow it through them, but they wouldn't cooperate. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the bankers, that at my coming I should have received back mine own with interest. Yeah, wants, he wants fruit from what he wanted invested there. So when the Lord returned, he judged the two who brought forth fruit, and they entered into the kingdom and were blessed abundantly. But he also judged the servant who had only one talent and didst, uh, didn't bear any fruit. Take ye away, therefore, the talent from him, and give it unto him that hath the ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have in abundance. But from him that hath not, even that which he hath shall be taken away. Meaning, what little fruit he had would be taken away and given to someone else who bore fruit. Matthew 25 and 30. And cast ye out the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. So the unprofitable servant who doesn't bear the fruit, the servant who doesn't manifest sonship, thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold, is cast forth into outer darkness. They took the one talent away from that person and gave it to the servant who had ten talents. Remember that, because... We're going to see it again. In other words, if you have fruit, you'll get more. If you have less, you'll get less. If we go to Ezekiel, we see a revelation concerning the rewards given to the sons, not to the servants. Ezekiel 46 and 16. Thus saith the Lord God, if the prince, prince was a name given to the high priest, And we know that's Jesus Christ. If the prince give a gift unto any of his sons, it is his inheritance. Sons, it is his inheritance. So whatever the Lord gives to a son here, uh, it's theirs. And they will keep it forever. It shall belong to his sons. It is their possession by inheritance. But if he give of his inheritance a gift to one of his servants... Oh, some people think that because they have the gift, they're a shoe-in. I'm going to be in in the kingdom. I, I got these gifts. I got the Holy Spirit. I got this. I got that. No, it doesn't mean any such thing. A person has to bear the fruit of sonship. Jesus said 30, 60, and 100 fold. Just because a person has the gift doesn't, doesn't mean anything. There are actual... Uh, religions out there that believe a person is a shoe-in if they just speak in tongues. But there are a lot of tongue-talkers who are going to split hell wide open because they're not bearing the fruit of Jesus Christ. So whatever God has given to them, He can take it back and just as easily as He gave it to them. And, and because they're a servant, a perpetual child, and don't want to bear fruit and grow up? And of course, one thing that makes you a servant and a child is being under the law and not faith. 
the rules and regulations of men, not just the Old Testament. You see, faith is accounted as righteousness. Even as uh, young in the faith as you are, you walk in that righteousness because you walk by faith. In other words, faith calleth the things that be not as though they were. Romans 4.17 Faith receives the end from the beginning. God calls you righteous because of your faith. And the and then, of course, He can call you righteous because you manifest that faith. That's bearing fruit. So there's a blood covering on you because of your faith. But some will be perpetual children, bondservants, and never sons because of religion, because of a wrong relationship with God. So Ezekiel 46 and 17 goes on to say, but if he give of his inheritance a gift to one of his servants, it shall be his to the year of liberty. Then it shall return to the prince. So you see, God can take back every gift that he's given unto you if you're not going to bear fruit, if you're not going to walk by faith. But as for his inheritance... It shall be for his sons. So he took it away from the servant and gave it to the son. Exactly what we read in the New Testament. Remember that the one talent was given to the bondservant with the ten talents. It was taken away from the unprofitable bondservant who had the one talent and who was then cast forth into outer darkness where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. His talent, his reward, his gift was given to the one who had ten. The one who had manifested sonship. I believe the ten talents in that parable represents those who have come completely into the image of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the servant will become as his Lord, Matthew 10 and 25. And Jesus promises 30, 60, and 100-fold fruit. Paul also talks about the star glory, the moon glory, and the sun glory. And he speaks about the three different kinds of bodies that will be given to the saints because of the fruit that they've manifested on the earth. That's 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, and uh, but we see in Ezekiel 46 is the same thing we just read in Matthew chapter 22 and 25. There are differences of reward. They tell you, no, there's no difference. They don't want you to be motivated to be holy. There are differences of reward depending upon whether you are a child as a bondservant or whether you are a son. Proverbs twenty nine twenty one. He that delicately bringeth up his servant from a child shall have him become a son at the last. So we're seeing the end from the beginning, seeing sonship, seeing in a mirror. And guess what? You're believing it's yours. You're looking in a mirror. You're believing Jesus is yours. You're believing Jesus lives in you because you're looking at him in a mirror. So you're continuing to walk in this faith. And if you consider it to be yours, God considers it to be yours too. 
Jesus said, According to your faith, be it done unto you. And Matthew 9 and 29 says, In other words, he was adding his faith to your faith. If you're believing something, he added his faith to your faith, and it was done. Jesus demanded the people that came unto him had faith. Then he also had faith, and he gave it to them, whatever they wanted, a healing, a deliverance, whatever. He added his faith to your faith. Are you going to come to him by faith? Do you look in the mirror and you see Jesus in the mirror? You're accepting that finished product in you, sonship, the Son of God. It's the same today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. They want to make him into something else. If you're walking by faith in a free gift, not something you could earn by your own self-righteousness, he's going to add his faith to your faith, and it'll be yours. You don't have to worry about losing it. Don't worry about uh, the time that we have left. Don't worry about anything. The only thing you're supposed to do is to behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord so that you're transformed into that same image from glory to glory, from star glory to moon glory to sun glory. And according to Leviticus 25, this all happens at the year of liberty. The Jubilee, when the inheritance is divided up, this is when all the land goes back to the original owner, meaning when the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Revelation 11 and 15. So at the end of the tribulation period, this is all going to be divided up, and those who walk as servants and not as sons are not going to abide in the house forever because they're bondservants of sin. They weren't serving him as father. They served because they had to. It was fire insurance, they thought. There was only one thing that keeps a person from partaking of this gift of God. It's to continue to walk in their sins when they don't have to because Jesus was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, and they don't believe it. So believe that you don't have any sin anymore because Jesus took it away. You can say no to the devil because Jesus delivered you out of the power of darkness. Quote, unquote. You can say no now because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So look at this verse. Isaiah 65 and 9. And I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains. Out of Jacob? Not all of Jacob? Just a seed out of Jacob? Yeah. And my chosen shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. Oh, look who inherits it. So there's a difference between dwelling there for a time and inheriting it. My chosen, he called them. Many are called, but few are chosen. Matthew 22 and 14. 
The chosen were the ones in Matthew chapters 22 and 25 who inherited. The rest of them had to give it up. So let me show you something from Psalm uh, 37 and 9. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait for the Lord, they shall inherit the land. Notice, we see people being cut off, falling away from the Lord into debauchery of all kinds. But those that wait on the Lord inherit the land. We see the Bible says evildoers from among God's people will be cut off from the land. Verse 10, For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and he shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the land, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Oh, how awesome. And this is also repeated further on down in verse 29. The righteous shall inherit the land, and dwell there forever. Wait for the Lord, and keep his way, and he will exalt thee to inherit the land. And when the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. Who is the wicked? It's the people who are continuing in their sins. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for there is a happy end to the man of peace. As for transgressors, they shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. We're seeing people being cut off. And they are wicked. So let me bring this passage to your attention, Romans 8 and 12. It says, So then, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you, talking about Christians, if you live after the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. Notice, it's by the Spirit of God and not by our power. And when a person has faith, they have the power of the Spirit of God. Faith is just believing that God is true to His Word. It's just believing in reforming our mind to believe that what God says is true and what He's given us is ours. It's believing that you are who He says you are. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. We can be led by the Spirit of God. You need to have the Spirit of God, by the way. We can be led by the Spirit of God. We can love the truth. We can renounce evil. It's all a gift from God. And we accept it freely by faith. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of adoption. And He is the one who brings us to the adoption of sons. Verse 15, For you receive not the spirit of bondage again unto fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So, many of you probably uh, read or watched Ben-Hur, and you know how he was adopted by the Roman centurion. So he's a good example. And the Jews did the same thing, by the way. Verse 16, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. Well, what does the suffering do? Brings you to sonship. Many don't want to suffer. They just want by faith. But they don't want to suffer the death of the old man. 2 Corinthians 4 and 16 says, Wherefore we faint not, but though our outward man is decaying, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. So you walk by faith for the new man, and that's correct and right, but you have to be willing to give up the old man to deny yourself and bear your cross, or there's no new man who can take his place in the kingdom. The outer man is decaying. The inner man is being renewed. One of them's got to die for the other to take his place. Right? So as the old man is dying, the new man is taking his place. There's no other way. So we have to cooperate with God in the death. We accept and we believe in the death. That's why we are baptized. We consider our old man died under the waters of the Word of God. For the death, burial, and resurrection. And if you don't cooperate with God in the death, how are you going to get to the resurrection? The death is still God's gift. Romans 8 and 18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to usward. For the earnest expectation of the creation waiteth for the revealing of the sons of God. What is the revealing of the sons of God? They are revealed in their actions and in their walk. They are revealed. Some people, oh, oh you... You, you can't mean that. I mean, we can't walk as Jesus walked. So then you're not abiding in Him. We know that the Bible says if you abide in Him, you have to walk as He walked. So these are the days for which Jesus has put this earth here to begin with to manifest His sons. He knows that this is a small portion of humanity on planet earth, but He considers it worth it to have these manifested sons. Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. Aha, verse 29. So these brethren are growing up into his likeness by the grace of God. Verse 20. For the creation was subject to vanity, not of its own will, but by reason of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the liberty of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only so, but ourselves also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for our adoption. So that will be obviously a wonderful day. To wit, the redemption of our body. Does everybody get the redemption of the body? No, not if they don't bear fruit in their soul. 
The full manifestation of our adoption is when we get our new body. I want to tell you, however, that only those who bear the fruit in the spirit and soul will get that new body. So the manifestation is not children, but sons. 1 John 3 and 2. Beloved, now are we the children of God. It's not yet made manifest what we shall be. We know that if he shall be manifested, there's an if there. Manifested in us is what he's talking about. If he shall be manifested, we shall be like him. And we just proved to you a few minutes ago, that's in this physical body. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Where? In the mirror. The person who sees the true Jesus in the mirror is the one who will be manifested in his likeness. That's the gospel. Why does everybody not do that? They're not reading the Bible. They're expecting their preacher to know this, and he doesn't because he don't manifest Jesus at all. He has no power. He has a form of godliness, but denies the power thereof. But Jesus said, these signs will accompany them that believe. So there are signs and wonders and healings and miracles and casting out demons and all these things. For the people who believe, he said, these are the people. And these are the ones that will manifest him from glory to glory. Second Corinthians 3 and 18. So then we're told in the next verse, And everyone that hath this hope set on him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Oh, my. Even as he is pure. You may say, that's not possible possibility that's that most people are taught that it's not but think again it's the word of god take this free gift of jesus the life of christ the sonship that the lord has given unto you accept it freely give up your old life your sinful ways and turn to god so this is just so awesome folks this is god's promise to us Get in the Word. It's the only thing that brings forth Jesus. It is the seed. You realize that? It's not what you get when you go to church on Sunday when he gives you a verse or two and goes on telling you about other moral, moral things, you know. It's supernatural power of God given by faith through grace, right? Amen. So, Father, we're putting our faith towards you. We want to manifest your Son, that 30, 60, and 100-fold. We want to manifest your Son. It's enough that we be as our teacher. We must make our teacher the Word of God so we can be like the Word of God, who is Jesus Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, Lord, we're, we want this. We desire this for those who want to go on and walk as he walked, as true disciples of Christ. 
Let them have faith and believe they have received. Jesus said, All things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe you received, it's past tense, them and you shall have them. Wow, God is able to bring it to pass. For those that believe they have received, He's able to bring it to pass. For those who look in the mirror and see Jesus and don't believe He's a liar, God is able to bring it to pass. Father, thank You for this wondrous good news of the gospel. We can walk as He walked because He made it possible. And it's His faith. When we look in the mirror and we see Jesus, that means I have His faith. I have His holiness. I have His righteousness. I have His power. I have His ministry. I have these things because He said these signs will accompany them that believe. Who is a believer? Not the churches. These signs will accompany them that believe. He is the one that says who a believer is. It's not those that have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Everything that Jesus gave us on the cross, we gave up to be on the cross. We made reconciliation, which means an exchange, his life for our life. It's been done. It's done. And now you can behold in the mirror the glory of the Lord and be transformed into that same image from glory to glory. As from the Lord, the Spirit. No, it's not from man. It's from the Lord. When you have that kind of faith, God will honor it. He will manifest in you Jesus Christ. That's His promise. That's what we're called to do. That's who we're called to be. Sons of God, after the image of the first Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, the only born, that's what it means, the only born Son of God. We have to be reborn sons of God. And reborn is more than what they tell you. Reborn is Jesus. That's what's given to you. That's the gift God gave to you, Jesus Christ. And everything that involves Him is what was given to you. You now have. You don't live anymore. Christ lives in you. What Christ? The same Jesus. The same Jesus lives in you. You have His power. You have His grace. You have His faith. Don't say you don't have faith. You have His faith. The exchange has been made. The reconciliation or the exchange has been accomplished. So thank God and praise Him that you're not lacking anything. It's all been given to you and it's in the Word and you just need to believe it. Amen? So thank you, Father. We believe it and we receive it. Amen. All right. God bless you, saints. And uh, go in faith. And uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Good night. Can quench my thirsting soul. Purest water made me whole. 
Let your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in. 